0: Amen. Here we go. So we're talking about the unshakable life. The unshakable life. Now, the unshakable life, the person that's living the unshakable life, we know by now, is the person that what builds their life on the unshakable word of God. Why? Because that person now is immovable, that person is anchored, that person is indestructible. And the reason they're indestructible is because the word of God is indestructible. Why would you want to build your life on anything else? And with this, what we're doing in this series is we're saying, okay, we want to live an unshakable life. No matter what comes our way, some days we're up, some days we're down, but we want to be able to keep on walking, walking on the water despite our circumstances. Come on, somebody. And so one of the ways that we can live this unshakable life is make these unshakable life declarations. Listen, you can't even go to heaven without making a declaration out of your mouth. Paul said, if you believe in your heart and you what? Come on. Confess. confess with your mouth, not in your mind, not while you're laying in bed at night and you think about following the Lord. He said, confess with your mouth. And so we're talking about unshakable life declarations that we actually confess with our mouth. See, what happens is when you confess an unshakable life declaration with your mouth, this unites your heart. And your words with the unshakable word of God. And when those unite together, you've got something uh, that is indestructible. Come on, if God be for me, who can be against me? God is all I need. He's all I need. So in Psalm 27, we're going to start back at verse 1. And just to recap the declarations that we've made already. If you look at Psalm 27, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, but if you have the traditional King James or even an NIV or a different version, we'll get to the same place together. Uh, But the Bible starts out by saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear, David said? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp, against me my heart shall not fear the war may rise against me and this I will be confident I will live life strong so first declaration I will live life strong I'm not going to shrink back in life I'm not going to be a person who just lets life happen to me that's how the cookie cookie crumbles that's how the ball bounces you know this is just what happens in life no God said, I have put my spirit in you. You go change the world. Amen. And it starts with you changing you. Come on. Don't let, just let life happen to you. And then David went on to say, one thing I have desired of the Lord. That will I seek. Amen. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place, in his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. What was David saying in these verses? He was saying, I will love God's house passionately. Don't forget this. If you build God's house, he will build your house. You build his house, he will build your house. David went on to say, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, Will I seek? What was David saying here? He was saying, I will have an overflowing heart. I will hold my head high and my heart will overflow. I hold my head up. I will lift my head up and my heart will overflow in all of this. He said, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Don't leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. That's what we're going to focus on today. I will turn to God at all times. I will turn to him at all times. And then we have a couple more weeks we'll go on to talk about. I will walk on a level path. Come on. And then we're going to talk about. I will not lose heart. I won't lose heart. Another version of Psalm 27 verses 9 and 10. That's where we're going to camp today. It, we, we just read it, but it said, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. He's reminding God, come on, do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Will my father and mother forsake me? Then the Lord, God, will take care of me. Another version puts it this way. It says, don't hide from me now. You've always been right there for me. Don't turn your back on me now, Lord. Don't throw me out. Don't abandon me. You've always kept the door open. My father and mother walked out and left me, but guess what? God took me in. I will turn to God at all times. What are we saying when we declare this? What we're saying is, I will turn my eyes toward God. Come on, even my whole head, my face. I will turn my eyes toward God who is already ready and willing to help me in any and all situations in my life. Even, come on, listen to this. Watch it. Even when I don't believe, see, or feel God. How many know there's some times in your life when you're not going to see God clearly right in front of you? Let me throw a couple of scriptures at you. David put it this way in Psalm 62, 8. He said, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Say lot. And then in Psalm 121, first verse, he said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence come my help. Come on. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then over in 123, he said, unto you, I will lift up my eyes O you who dwell in the heavens. David is declaring that I am going, no matter what happens around me, I am going to look to the Lord. Now, let me just give you a little background. Psalm 27, many scholars believe that David wrote this psalm uh, when he was young, and he was going through a lot of trouble when Saul was chasing him. Come on, and Saul wanted to kill him, and he had enemies, and it wasn't just that his enemies wanted to talk about him on social media. His enemies wanted to kill him. And other scholars believe this was toward the end of his life when he had seen all of these things happen. And finally, he, he, he came to a resolve within himself that there is nothing else but God. And I will turn to him when I'm up or when I'm down. But regardless of when he wrote it, we, we know that David has been through some distress. This wasn't a mountaintop writing. Come on, there were some enemies on all sides of David when he began to pen this. And so to pen, I will turn to God at all times. I will lift up my eyes to you even when my enemies are coming against me. That's faith. Come on, somebody. I will turn to God. I will turn. It's a deliberate decision that we have to make. There are times in our life when we're not going to feel God. I think that one of our problems is is that we go by feelings too much. God gave us feelings. I always say that. God gave us emotions. Let's not discount them. We know that we have emotions for a reason. But when we allow our emotions to guide us, and especially when it comes to serving God, we're going to fall short. We're going to be disappointed. Come on. We're going to quit and give up. We're going to faint. But God tells us you will have victory if you faint not keep going keep moving look to me it is a decision that we have to make Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 30 says when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days when you turn to God and obey his voice he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them when you're in distress and when you turn to God he's right there waiting on you Second Chronicles 15, 4, but when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him. He was found by them. God is never going to hide for you. He is always available and ready for you. But he's saying, you must turn to me. You know, one of the funny things uh, to me I hear a lot is uh, people, uh, you know, they doubt God and they, they, they don't believe in God. They, maybe they used to believe God and now they don't believe in God. Why? Because they went through some situations and they said, well, where was God in that situation? You know, we've got this situation in North Korea or we've got a tsunami happening or the situation, I believe it's in Puerto Rico, uh, where it's almost been a year and they still don't have water. You look around the earth, you look around our country, you look in your neighborhood and you see kids getting shot in the street and all sorts of things happening. And you wonder, where is God? I'm not going to believe in God because where is he? Where Where were you, God? I believe that so often God looks at you and says, I have been here the whole time. Where were you? Where were you? You never sought me. You were worried about the world. You were looking at the news. You were going on caring about your life. But when a disaster happened, now you're looking for me. I've been here through the whole disaster. I've been here through the good times. I've been here through the bad times. Where were you? I think that's the question. We're going to have to look in the mirror instead of saying, God, where were you? But we need to look in the mirror sometimes and say, where were you? Did you seek God? Did you seek God when you have money in your bank account? Hmm. Come on now. Did you seek God when your your job was going good and, and, and you got the promotion? Uh, did you seek God? Did you thank him? When, you're, when, you're, when you were happy in your marriage, did you seek God and your kids were all healthy and school was going well and you were getting all in? You got a 4.0 and the, dean's, uh, the dean called you up and said, guess what? I'm putting you on my list. Come on. Did you seek him then? Oh, but let something happen. I got a bad grade. They kicked me out of school. You know, my car, uh, it's not doing what I want it to do. It, it, It doesn't start this morning. And I was late for work. Where are you, God? Where are you? David said, I will turn to God at all times. Listen to what Paul told Timothy to tell the church in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. What have we been saying the whole time? God wants your heart. A lot of us try to prove to God that we're faithful. God, I did this. I helped that person. I gave the money uh, at church. I tithe. You know, I'm a good person. I showed up to work. Uh, Guess what? That stuff doesn't impress God. It's good to be faithful. And he honors it. He honors it. But it's not impressive to him. In fact, I believe Paul would have said, that's your reasonable service. But God says, do I have your heart? Do I have your heart? Because if I get your heart, then I got you. I got you. You're not going to see him all the time. I was thinking about a story. A man, he fell off a cliff one time, but he managed to grab onto a tree limb as he fell. And uh, he called up. Hey, is anybody up there? Can anybody hear me? And he heard the voice of God, this is God, I am here, just reach up, let go of the tree branch and reach up, I will catch you. So some time went by, he kind of paused, is anybody else up there? (laughs) God is saying, look, I'm right here, I am right here for you. All you have to do is trust and believe. Another story kind of like that was, uh, uh, this is a true story, a a young boy, a a house caught on fire. Family was in the house. Everybody got out except for a young boy. He was eight or nine years old. Instead of running down and out the front door, he ran up and got out on the roof. But the house below him was on fire and the smoke began to accumulate. And his father was saying, where is he? Where's my son? And he said, dad, I'm up here, I'm up here. And he he saw him. He looked up and through the smoke, the dad could see the boy on that part of the roof. And he said, I can see you, son. Jump. I'll catch you. And he said, but dad, I can't see you. I can't see you down there. And he said, go ahead and jump. And so he waited and he waited and he waited. And finally, he looked down again and said, I'm too scared to jump because I can't see you. And finally, the dad said, look, it's not important that you see me. It's important that I see you. Go ahead and jump. And God is telling us this morning, it's not important that you see him. What's important is that he sees you. He knows where you are. Faith, listen, it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, not seen by the natural eye. Faith, but we know God is there. We have a cry of our heart. This thing turn to God at all times there's a cry that comes from our heart we see it in David's declaration here and what he said he's telling us to turn to God even when you don't have faith in God turn to God even when you don't feel God but here's seven cries I want to give you that you need to look at your heart and see if you have these things in your heart first thing David said is he said don't hide your face from me what's he saying don't hide from me God you know One of the worst things in the world is you ever been in an argument with someone or maybe they offended you or you offended them and uh, you haven't talked to them in a long time and all of a sudden at some point you realize, you know, I don't know why we haven't talked in such a long time. I mean, now it doesn't seem like that was such a big thing that kind of broke us up. And you begin to think this and you, you haven't heard from the person. And maybe you say, you know what, time has gone by and uh, I don't even remember what happened. I don't even remember why, you know, uh, we were arguing. I don't even remember what the subject was. And so you go to call them up, but you can't get in touch with them. And you leave a voicemail, but they, don't, they never call you back and they never answer you. It's one of the worst feelings in the world because now you don't know. Did they, did they change their number and just not get my voicemail? Did they get my voicemail and just still mad at me? and never gonna reconcile what's going on and you begin to wonder. One of the worst things in the world is to wonder and we look at God and say, show, Moses said, it. just show me your face, Lord. Even if you're mad at me, just show me your face. I just need to see you, that you're still there. And this is what David is saying, don't, don't hide from me, God. I'm, I'm willing to accept, accept the consequences, whatever it may be, but just don't hide your face from me. We feel like God is hiding from us during our season of affliction. Come on. Uh, when I go through something, where are you, God? Where were you? Why didn't you prevent this? Psalm forty-four twenty-four 24 says, why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? Because we feel like God is leaving us. But God is saying to us, I'm here the whole time. And everything that you go through is for a purpose. I know it's almost a cliche scripture by now, Romans 8.28. But all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord the called and those that love the Lord. Come on. The question is not what's happening to you, the question is where is your faith in God? Because you can change your circumstances by your faith in God. We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. You can change your own circumstances. By your faith in God. In fact, let me just hit on that. Isn't it interesting? I don't know if you noticed this or not. But in Psalm 27, one of the things that really interested me after I've read this for years now and read it over is David talks about his enemies. Right in the first few verses, he talks about how they want to kill him, how they want to eat up his flesh. That's serious. Come on. But one of the things that I don't see in Psalm 27 is David wanting revenge on his enemies? I don't see where he says, God, give me the strength that you gave Samson. That I can take my weapon and cut their heads off. Lord, give me the strength. Come on, give me the, give me the wisdom to be able to, 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 to kill 200 men all at once with one swing. I, I want to exact revenge on them. He never does that. Instead of looking at his enemies, do you know where he looks? Come on. Come on. To God instead of looking this way he looks this way this is where we miss it this is where we miss it we want to get revenge on our enemies come on we've all been through it but God is saying turn to me I will turn to God at all times because the victory comes here the victory comes this way but what we do is we magnify our problems and listen, when our problems become our priority, his promises become less prevalent. i say it again. When our problems become our priority, his promises become less prevalent. We need to make God our priority even in the midst of our problems. So David's saying, listen, don't hide from me because I'm looking to you. His second cry was right, just like the first one, don't turn your back on me. Come on, how many know that? That's a terrible feeling. You ever been talking to somebody and they turned their back on you? That's that's a bad feeling. It really is. I remember in high school, one of the things that our team, our fans, used to do to really get on the other team's nerves, I went to a school called Beechcroft in Columbus, Ohio, and our arch rival, yeah, Mike went there too, Beechcroft Cougars. And uh, our rival was Mifflin, Mifflin Sharks. And, uh, when we played basketball against Mifflin. One of the things that we would do is, uh, when our team came out, we'd be cheering. Cougars, yeah, go, they coming out, dribbling, doing their layups. And then when Mifflin came out, what we did was everybody had a newspaper. I know some of y'all don't know what that newspaper was like. This, they had paper, had writing on it, and, uh, it was like the news. So, um, we, we had newspapers, and when they all ran out, we would all turn around to the wall and read our newspapers. And their I know, that's so mean. And their fans would get so mad, and they would, uh, you know, they would get so distraught, and we'd end up, well, we wouldn't win the game, but we'd at least you know get up, kind of like Cleveland did. We'd get up by 10, and then they'd calm down and beat us. But you know, we'd get to them at first. And one of the worst things is when somebody turns their back on you having a conversation. I don't want to hear it, but I'm trying to explain. I don't want to hear it. Oh, That's terrible. David is saying to God, don't do that to me. Even if I'm wrong, I know I'm wrong, but please don't turn your back on me. Don't turn your back on me. The prodigal son's father had every reason to refuse his son and turn his back, didn't he? Come on. He could have said, you did that to yourself. How many have heard that before? Yet because of his great mercy and his unconditional love for his son, he didn't turn his back. He was out by the roadside every day waiting for his son to return. And when he did, he didn't chastise him. He didn't say, what were you doing out there? This is your fault. See where you are. See where it's got you. No, he ran up to him and he hugged him and he kissed him on his neck. And really, if you search that out, he gave him a bear hug. He gave him a a hug. Come on. And he said, come on back in here. And then David said, don't be angry with me. I know I've done things to make you angry, but do not turn your servant away in your anger. See, these are declarations where David knows God has every right to every one of them. These are pleas. Don't hide from me. Don't turn your back on me. And God certainly, don't turn away your servant in anger. I will turn to God at all times is what we're talking about. When your heart is turned away from God's purposes, you'll never fulfill what he has for you. And you will never be fulfilled. In Judges 639, you remember Gideon. Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the the fleece. And let it now be dry on the fleece and wet on the ground. Come on. He started out his conversation with God. Don't be angry with me, God. Don't be. I know I trust you and you just want me to trust you without asking any questions. Don't be angry with me. That's the cry of a heart that turns toward God. And then David said, don't stop helping me. Don't stop. Please don't stop helping me. Help me even when I don't deserve your help, Lord. Help me even when I've exhausted all of my resources. Help me when I've lost hope and I've given up the battle. Help me even though I've had a long night and no apparent breakthrough. You ever been there? Oh, it's it's fun when we talk about breakthrough and hear somebody preaching about your breakthrough is right around the corner. Your breakthrough is on the way and you're about to break through. But some of us have been there where we've had a long night and there's been no apparent breakthrough. I don't know about you, but I've been there. My daughter's still sick after I've prayed all night. I still owe the money. There was no miraculous thing that happened. They didn't write me a letter and say your debt was canceled, it's still there. No apparent breakthrough. What are you going to do? God knows what He can do, God knows what He will do. God can do the miraculous. See, our focus is so much on the, the result. It's so much on uh, the miracle. We get so moved by the miracle. Saints, can I tell you something this morning? And I'll tell you, like David told God, don't get angry with me. I know I don't, I don't want to offend you. Don't get angry with me. But we focus too much on the miraculous. We're always going week to week. Not you in here, but we're always going week to week. It seems like looking for a miracle. And God's saying, I just want your heart. Miracles are nothing for me. It's it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal to you because you live in this three-dimensional realm, not realizing that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. I have set you in high places. Come on. You really are a spiritual creature. But you, you, you go by your eyes and your ears, what you've heard and what you taste and what you see and, and what you feel, and you're always looking for a miracle. And I'm saying, just give me your heart and the miracles. Read Matthew chapter 6 sometime. Read chapter 6 sometime. And you know it ends with, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. But read it sometime and look at what all these things are. I mean, It's everything. All the miracles God has already promised you in Matthew chapter 6. I'll do all of it. I'll help you. I'll give you wisdom. I'll help. I'll clothe you. I'll give you strength to do everything that you need to do. You know what? I, here, here's what it is. We, we sit back and we wait, and I don't want to belabor this point, but we wait for God to, to do a miracle, something that has never been done before. We, I, and listen, I love it too. I, I want to see the miraculous. I love to see people healed. Uh, our brother's testimony this morning, come on. That, that's a miracle, that's a miracle. But it's not, here, listen, here's the thing about it. Let's not just let it be a one-time thing. Oh, remember that one year when Stephen was healed? Come on, it should be all the time. I heard T.D. Jake say this one time, and I, I didn't ask him if I could steal it, but I don't think he'll hear this. So He said, God doesn't make tables. God doesn't make chairs. God makes trees. You make tables and you make chairs. What are you going to do with what God gave you? Stop sitting back looking for the miracle and the manna from heaven. God's already given you everything you need to be successful. Success is in your hands and in your mouth. That's why we're making faith declarations. Sometimes we're looking, oh God, please, Lord Jesus, just if you see fit to heal me, if you see fit, prosper me. But what are we saying to our friends? What are we saying to our sister and our brother? Boy, this is just a tough time for me. I'm, I'm never going to get the money to pay this bill. And I, I, can't, you know, I can't believe all this stuff coming out of our mouth. Yet we turn to God for a miracle. God's saying your miracle's there. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. David said, don't stop helping me. And then he said, don't reject me, Lord. Don't reject me. Don't say, look, I've, I've, I've put up with you long enough. Four times. I bailed you out and now you come back to me the fifth time and you want to be bailed out again. No, you made your bed. What? That's right. Lie in it, sleep in it. I've heard it, but God doesn't say that. David said, don't leave me. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We don't want to be rejected because rejection breeds negativity and negativity breeds doubt. It breeds uh, breeds an attitude of lost expectation. God wants us to have an attitude of expectation. And then he said, God, don't abandon me. Don't just leave me. I've been crying out and I can't hear anything. Don't leave me, Lord. God said, I will never leave you or never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. You know, abandon means to give up without intent of return. God, please don't abandon me. Please don't abandon me, David's saying. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. Do not fear or be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. We need to understand this morning that God is for you and not against you. Yeah, but you don't know how I've messed up. I know. I understand that. i messed up too. But guess what? God is still for you and not against you. doesn't mean that life doesn't come with consequences. We have to deal with those things all the time. But the important thing is God is for you and not against you. God is for you. Here, think about this. God knew. Think about your worst mess up. I don't want to bring this up to you, but... Think about your worst mess up just for a moment. Then we're going to forget about it. Just let it come to your mind. What you believe is your worst mess up in life. I don't know what the the worst mistake you've ever made. All right. Got that there? Worst mistake I've ever made. Now understand this. Before you were born, God knew you were going to make that mistake. He knew you were going to mess up royally. He knew that you were going to mess up beyond belief. And he still, at the moment before he created you, loved you. He loved you through it, and he still loves you after it, no matter the result. God is for me and not against me. Somebody say that. God is for me and not against me. Now we just need to believe that in our heart. He said, don't abandon me. And finally, God said this, don't close the door. Don't close the door. Don't make this my last chance, Lord. I'm not confessing that I'm going to mess up again, but all I'm saying is don't close the door. The pastoral heart of God to watch over, to shepherd, to restore my life. Don't close the door on me, Lord. Please don't. Mark 16, 3 says, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? God, I said that to say that God is about rolling away the stone. He's not about closing the door on you. Don't ever think that God has closed the door on you. If you're a person who feels like I've messed up 27 times and, you know, Carla, she's only messed up 13 times. So of course he's going to give her another chance. But I think I've exhausted all my chances understand that God's mercies are new every morning and God's mercies endure forever, forever. God has a love that's unbelievable. It's a love that we don't understand. I define love this way. We, many of us could define love all kinds of ways. Love, love is a word that's indescribable, isn't it? I define love this way, the giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of another. This is the love that God has for us. Someone called it a reckless love. And when you first hear that, you say, reckless, that doesn't make sense because that means careless. But there's another definition of reckless. And I believe that's the definition in this song. This definition says that no matter what the consequences are, even death, I'm still going to do it for you. That's the definition of reckless that God has for you. That's the love he has for you. No matter what the consequences. I'm in heaven. There is nothing I can't do. I breathe and stars come out. The earth is my footstool. But I'm going to leave all of that and subject myself to you, that I might reconcile you back to me.